Uh, Ethiopia is going through a very devastating war in, in, in Tigray. Our moderator today is Muridi Mutiga, who is the project director for the Horn of Africa at the International Crisis Group. Thank you. So thank you once again for joining us uh, in this forum in partnership with Henry Ball Foundation and the Elephant here in Nairobi. My name is Pauline Otienoskepa, and I am the forum and education manager here at the Institute. The Rift Valley Forum is a program of the Rift Valley Institute and is a neutral platform that is dedicated to critical exploration, discussion, and debate on important political, economic, and social issues within the Horn and Eastern Africa. So uh, without further ado, Muridi, I'll hand over to you. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks, Pauline, and welcome, everyone. And it's a Dalil Lema, Adem Abebe, and my friend Abdeta Beyene. Um, the focus primarily will be on the politics of the election. I'll, I'll just turn first to Adem. You know, how can the Tigrayan people be included in, in this context that he described where, uh, you know, the primary political parties from that region are not taking part? So uh, it, it's a good question from uh, Samuel Pakala, and that is that is at the heart of this whole problem, isn't it? What we're discussing now is that we do not have a political program that envisions the you know the the the, the participation of the Tigrayan people into the political pro program that is being laid out today. That is at the heart of the problem, and that is where political parties are uh, falling short. Um, for me, it's um. It's coming from a fundamentally dislocated view, point of view of the Tigrayan political psyche. Uh, you know, if, if we were discussing about the famine, for example, that, that is ravaging Tigray today, uh, or which, which is staring in the eye of more than 350,000 Tigrayans today. And if you look into the genealogy of that, uh, you, the man-made famine it is. It's, it's a famine under the war that a war that you know the, the, the participants have refused to stop. Um, it is it's exactly the same thing that has put Tigray in the last three uh, uh, for the third time now. And at the heart, at the core of it, is the Tigrayan community uh, and their understanding of what a political you know, what a, what, what a political participation is in the Ethiopian body politics. The Grians are fiercely uh, protective of their right to self-determination. And this is at the hurt of the failure from the central government's successive regimes in the past, central governments in Ethiopia, which has put the 17-year war during the dirt and the, 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 the previous uh, bombardment uh, in 1952 uh, on the famine that led to the 1973 uh, 74 famine under Haile The circumstances are very much the same. And that is why it, the core of the problem is to establish a political system that can imagine the Tigrayan community as part and parcel of the Ethiopian Federation. What we did the last 30 years is this, you know, the establishment of the semi-autonomous regional states and the establishment of the regional state uh, delimited uh, through language, uh, what, the, what the, you know, the street word says it as ethnic federalism, the constitution says it as a multi-ethnic federalism. The establishment has given the regional states, including Tigray, the leverage to self-administer. 
Has it been a complete process? No, it has not been. The protest in Oromia, for example, at the heart of it, was not the dismantling, the dismantling of the, the, the current federalism that we have. It was, in fact, the, 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 the question of having more of it, respect for the constitution, uh, respect for the right for self-administration. You know, these were at the heart of the protest in Oromia. The same way that Tigray's war today is, uh, is happening. So the political programs, you look at the debates, the political debates that are happening today in the national television with all the political parties that are participating, none of them have a program to reimagine the Tigrayan people back into the Federation. This in a way is quite a scary thing. This is one. The second one is the problem of addressing what to do with the political party the people of Tigray have elected in September in their own uh, stats at the regional level. They have elected the TPLF as a political party that was governing the regional state before it was hosted in, in November. Um, now the federal government has labeled it as a terrorist organization. And this has happened in the absence of the Tigrayan population in the national parliament. The Tigray is represented through 38 uh, seats in the national parliament, and I don't know the number of seats in the House of Federation. None of them are currently occupied by, by the people of Tigray or their representatives. So the federal government has gone on labeling the Tigray, the TPLF as a terrorist organization in the absence of the very people that have voted for this party to govern them at the regional level. This makes a political a settlement, any political settlement, near impossible. And that is why the political parties that are participating in the election today are not coming up with any viable means of reimagining, reintegrating the Tigrayan people into the political process, even in the post-election. And that makes it very dangerous. Whether you know makes you question whether this election is a green card for the Tigrayan people to secede from the federation, because there is no program from any of the political parties to reimagine, to, to reincorporate the Tigrayan people. And what political program they have to do so, there is none. It's unavailable, and that was what makes this election as well a very dangerous one in terms of preserving the Ethiopian Federation as we knew it from 1991 to today. We don't know how this is going to happen now after the election. Um, and I guess this answers um, the question for Samuel, and I don't know if I left any question. You can remind me. Yeah, no, thanks, Tedale. In fact, we are coming to the end, so I'll be turning to all of you to um, uh, offer a conclusion. I see you uh, provoked some thoughts among both Adam and Abdetta. Um, so it would be good to hear from both uh, uh, briefly on that question, and then we'll conclude. Um, but Adem, if you could also answer the earlier question from Michael Othembo about um, Article 39, self-determination, obviously very controversial, um, you know, very passionately supported by some, um, you know, others think it, it's, it's problematic. So if you could also discuss that a bit and what the future might be in terms of, of, of dealing with that. Um, I see Patrick has also put in a question where I have to go through all of them now, um, but is there a real fear of election rigging? Um, you know, will the election broadly be fair? You know, I, I think we already discussed the media. Uh, but Adem, just those two, Article 39, and whether the election will be uh, will be broadly fair. Um, th thanks, Murji. Quickly, elections, I think if uh, there is a rigging, it has already been done. 
Um, so uh, I don't expect, um, I don't think there's need for the ruling party to engage in uh, rigging anymore. Um, where they had first strong uh, opposition was in Oromia and uh, there's no competition there now. So I think they, they can be, uh, they can be, they, they can be confident to win that region. And even in Amhara where they, they are facing still some, uh, some opposition parties, um, I, I don't think they would need to rig the elections. I think they have, they, still, they have a very good chance of uh, winning. In fact, the fear, that's my sense, the fear today uh, might be winning too much for the ruling party in Amhara and, and some parts of the country. Um, so so I, I don't think it would be necessary. Uh, I, I don't know if they're thinking about it, but I don't think that would be necessary. If anything, the, the, the problem now that the government faces is that it would be winning too much. Um, in terms of what the elections could mean for Tigray, so technically, and this is a legal answer, um, the, the expectation is that when the conflict subsides and the conditions for elections are there, there will be elections to elect representatives from Tigray. Uh, so that's, that is the idea, right? But obviously uh, we know that, uh, you know, already now the situation has been problematic even for humanitarian access for people to stay alive. Um, so, so you can imagine that um, the region is very, very unlikely um, to be ready for elections anytime soon. Um, so there has to be, we have to find a way for the, 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 you know, the, the, the regional administrative government, which is itself set up by the federal government, um, to find ways to represent the Tigray region somehow. Uh, unfortunately, there's nothing, there's nothing in the law, there's nothing in the constitution. Um, and there is nothing in the policies, the government plans so far in terms of how the voices of the Tigray people will be represented um, until elections are held. There is nothing. Um, and that applies also to areas where elections will not be able to be held in, 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 on time. Uh, those that will not produce a result before, before October when the new parliament will be set up. Um, but it's something that has to be thought about um, and, and, and a solution, uh, a solution uh, found. Um, in terms of Article 39, uh, obviously, you know, I was actually trying to write up, um, you know, we have to remember that Article 39 is, uh, is a result of the politics at the time it was drafted. So it did not create the politics. Article 39 did not create the politics. It's very important to know. It was the result of the politics. Um, and of course, what it has done is that it became the basis for the formation of states organized along linguistic lines. I think it's not even ethnic as such, it's really linguistic with, uh, at, at states. Um, and if you are organized at the state, then you have you know, resources, you have, the you have security apparatus, you have networks, you have the political organization to challenge the center. So in that sense, it had created parallel political centers uh, that, you know, in a context where there is no culture of resolving disputes uh, in a peaceful manner. And then I think that's what we saw, uh, uh, what happened uh, in, 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 in Tigray, uh, ultimately, uh, uh, ultimately turning into, into, into a war. So it is a very contested, uh, contested um, provision, um, but it's important to know that it was, it was a result of the politics rather than it creating the politics. And it, it, this leads me to, to a question of dialogue, you know, um, and it's very important because the way people use dialogue is very different. Um, as, as Sadala said, for the TPLF and the Oromo opposition, uh, dialogue is about creating the conditions for credible elections because they are happy with the constitutional framework. 
the constitutional framework uh, was designed by the TPLF itself, um, was supported by the Oromo Liberation Front and the Oromo Federal, Federalist Congress also support, supports it. So when we, and, and that's why the, when the government hears these groups talk about dialogue, what it listens is um, uh, the government resigning, having a caretaker government as the only guarantee for credible elections. So that's what the government hears when these, with these groups talk about dialogue, right? But when I talk about dialogue, uh, it is dialogue that also puts the constitution itself on the table uh, because it was, it was um, whether we like it or not and whether it has large support or not, it was imposed by uh, the dominant forces in the early 1990s. Um, and we might as well maintain the current structure um, but we need to open dialogue to cover not just uh, the conditions for creating credible elections, uh, but addressing the contested issues before elections, what I call pre-democracy issues. What kind of state do we want to have? Do you want to maintain the current states? Do you want to break them down? Um, and I think, uh, you know, I, I have the, the, the sense that uh, even if the current boundaries of the states might remain the same, there is there is uh, some constituency, for instance, in Amhara for breaking the Amhara region down, um, and possibly even in in the Somalia region. I think the Ogaden Liberation Front will be happy to have its own region in the Ogaden area of Somalia. Uh, I cannot really speak authoritatively on in in, in Oromia, uh, but I think if there are certain preconditions, I I do not want to exclude uh, possible support uh, for smaller sized states in Oromia as well. Um, so, so, so to just to, to summarize, when uh, the TPLF and, and the Oromo opposition talk about dialogue, um, they are primarily talking about dialogue to create conditions for credible elections. Uh, but when other forces, including the Izema, the opposition, uh, and, the, and, and the, the, the ruling and opposition party in Amhara and other places, it is to talk about the entire constitutional framework itself. So I think it will, it will help for people to be clear about what exactly they want when they want uh, when they want uh, dialogue. I'll stop there. Um, thanks, thanks, Adem. Uh, just um, I think we'll go now to a round of conclusions. Just two minutes each. Really, very rich contributions from all of you. This has just been a joy to listen to. Um, you know, the two hours have flown past, but it would be good to just hear your final thoughts about you know just two to three minutes each. Starting with Abdeta in reverse order. Thank, thank you, Murifi. Uh, but I just wanted to uh, also highlight some a point that I, I thought uh, we have to be fair on what happened to uh, parliamentarians of, of, of Tigray who were there. Uh, they have been withdrawing, withdrawn by the TPLF. Then they were uh, uh, the TPLF decided. Uh, for them to participate in the, in the, in the last election. Uh, that was the context in which uh, uh, they, uh, they were. There was one, one question that I, I thought probably I have, to, I have to respond to. Is there a viable alternative to the elections? I think a better election is a viable election, but we, I don't think we can, we can get that. Um, we can get that now. But uh, let me say this and co conclude. I think Ethiopia, Ethiop Ethiopian elections will continue to be contested. Uh, there are other bigger issues uh, that are being contested in Ethiopia. And, and uh, in the aftermath of the election, I think those issues that have been, that have 
yet to be resolved in terms of what kind of state Ethiopia will have, what kind of federal structure there should be, the center-periphery relations, institutions that have created winners and losers, how to deal with them, how to correct past mistakes. These are issues that are going to emerge in, in, in a post-election reality in Ethiopia. Uh, the contests might not be uh, on the elections per se. Uh, most predict uh, an outcome. Uh, as Adala earlier said, uh, the number of participants in Oromia, for example, for uh, parliament, federal parliament and the federal member states parliament uh, uh, are, are very clear who, who the, uh, the, the winner will be. The numbers are, are there. Uh, but I want to emphasize that there are other bigger issues that are driving fault lines in Ethiopia uh, with implications uh, for the country and Ethiopia's role uh, in the region. Thank you. Thanks, Abdeta. Over to Sedal. I keep muting myself. I keep muting myself, <laughs> which is not a bad thing. Um, I think it is it is about time that we, we we you know the Ethiopian political elite collectively reckons with what exactly do we want? You know how is it that a country of of uh, more than one hundred and ten million uh, estimated population can't get into? But, you know, and I'm posing this question particularly to those political parties that are enthusiastically um, campaigning for this election. Um, is there, shouldn't there be another way of imagining possibilities of creating a stable Ethiopia other than going into a, a, an election that has left 25% of the country's population outside of its, uh, its participation? Um, isn't that when, when is the time to to pause for the moment and ask this question that election in a time of civil war cannot produce a government that is legitimate or stable? What would it take for the political class in that country to come and and and, and reckon with this point? And what, when are we going to include in our political ambitions, in our political programs, um, a country that has governed for the last you know, 30 years, more or less, has uh, a, a, an experience of, of, of autonomy? What does it mean to govern a country to come together from, from where it was? And if we, if we are imagining a better Ethiopia to be, what kind of better Ethiopia, how can we we imagine that under a circumstance of extreme violence, political violence that has besieged the rest of the country today, in a very uh, polarized environment uh, where a war could receive a, a standing ovation, a war against itself. It is not a war against a third country from outside. We're not going to secure anything from, from outside of our own border. We are at war with, our, with ourselves. So how is it that a political elite can push for an election in a country where simultaneously experiencing a civil war? So when do we stand up and recognize that to have a peaceful election requires a minimum, a bare minimum of peaceful environment in there? 
And in the absence of this environment without, you know, to hold an election, what are the possibilities? How can we preserve the Federation from collapsing? What is the role of this election? Is it going to preserve the Federation? Are we going to get, you know, Ethiopia stronger again? So when is that going to come up to the surface? When is this fear going to go away? And the elites are going to look each other in the eye and put country first. I think we need to have a moment of reckoning for that. And that has to come from the political elite. Uh, and that, you know, a goal of an election should not be a state capture by other means. But that's exactly what I'm seeing now. It's a state capture by other means. And we have to, we have to, we have to recognize that this is not going to lead into a stable country. Authoritarianism, as, as Dr. Adams said, um, is, the time is not favorable for, for an authoritarian stable government to have in Ethiopia today, because we are talking about emboldened regional states, emboldened you know, uh, regions that have experienced it to a certain extent, what it means to be autonomous and to self-govern. You know? So in this context, can our political elites come up with a program that, 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 that is in tandem with the current reality? This is what we need to pause and ask ourselves and ask our political elites beyond and above holding an office through an election that is exclusionary in its nature. Um, th th thank you, Murisi. And I think I have a slightly different message um, uh, in, in the sense that I do not consider the elections as, uh, as irrelevant or unnecessary. Um, I think they, they are consequential uh, in, the, in the sense that um, they will lead to a, a different mentality among the government. So this is, you know, this is a pragmatic reading. So uh, the, the government considers them as a basis of legitimacy for itself. Um, that's one. And two, um, I think, I mean, obviously there was conflict in Tigray, um, but at the same time, that should not be the only reason why or why not an election should, should, should be held. I think um, had it not been for the complex background um, to, to, to what is happening to, to the Tigray war, um, and, and the connections that it has to the fundamental questions of what kind of what kind of country um, it, it should become. Um, I think elections would be necessary. You cannot abandon an electoral process um, because of problems uh, as big as they may be. As big as they may be, you cannot abandon electoral processes um, because because of a problem in, in in a region. And that's why you know in in 2020 when the Corona crisis hit. Um, that was one of the main issues. Uh, you know, wh what do you do now? Do you postpone them uh, uh, despite a, a problem that is actually affecting the entire country and not just not just Tigray, right? So we have to always, um, uh, and, and the, the debate was that despite the challenge, elections should have been held. And the point I'm trying to make is, is that, um, one, elections are not irrelevant. They are not unnecessary. I think they have value. That's one. Two, elections are only part of the transition process. I do not want them to, I do not want us to see them as the only uh, aspect of the transition. And, and that's why I hope, um, you know, I think because of the war in Tigray and everywhere, we've created a lot of mistrust. So we need to rebuild confidence. Uh, we need to engage in dialogue uh, to answer the questions that, that Zadala was, was raising. Um, and then after that, we have, we have to hold elections again. 
perhaps without waiting for the five-year period. But my sense is that confidence building and, and dialogue and all may actually take uh, five years. Um, so I, I want us to, to remain positive because there's really no other way. Uh, there's really no other way to staying. There's no alternative to staying positive. Um, and we need to recognize the government as a legitimate actor. It's very important to recognize the, the government as a legitimate actor with the constituency, with resources, uh, as much as we want the government to recognize everyone else as legitimate uh, actors with, with their own constituencies. So this mutual recognition, I hope, will happen quicker than we think um, and hopefully uh, lay the foundation for, for comprehensive dialogue. Thank you very much. And I must leave because I have a meeting one minute ago. So, but, I, but thank, thank you, you very much. much again. And good to see you, Sadar and Abdeta. Yeah, great, great to end on a positive note. Thanks, thanks to everyone for participating. Just a very quick plug. Uh, the partner to this uh, series is the Elephant website. So please go over there. They have uh, um, uh, articles on the Ethiopian election. I'm also for the, from the International Crisis Group. So I'll just end my keep by saying we are releasing a podcast on the Ethiopian <laughs> election tomorrow. Um, so thank you very much. Over to Pauline. Uh, thank you so much, Muridi, and thank you to our panelists. Thank you for uh, accepting our invitation and for a very engaging and rich uh, discussion. As Muridi said, we, uh, this is a partnership with uh, the Elephant here in uh, Nairobi and Henrik Paul Foundation, who are um, our, 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 our donors and partners. And so um, this is just not a River Valley Institute effort. It's the effort of the three organizations. As I said, we'd, uh, we'll uh, get a briefing note done for, for this meeting um, and then discuss other dynamics of podcasts or not. Um, I thank you again, Muridi and uh, ICG said is producing a podcast on Ethiopia. And if you want uh, more uh, articles and details, I'm sure if you follow any of our panelists, um, you'll get um, rich uh, literature on, on the same. Uh, so without further ado, it's four or two from a very cold Nairobi. Asante uh, Nisana, have a good day wherever you are in the world. There's some people connected from all over. Um, until we meet again, Asante. <clears throat> Thanks for having us. I enjoyed the discussions and the points raised. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Good night. Bye. Thank you.